crowds with masks. All over our news feeds, pictures, images of people crowded together on street corners, alleyways, or by parliament buildings. These pictures that we see characterize the ra- forces of racism that have bubbled up and overflowed. At the same time, the internal fear and cautiousness towards a virus, a virus that doesn't show signs of slowing until a vaccine or treatment emerges. Pictures of crowds with masks almost shouts into our ears, things aren't so simple. The masked protests show us on the outside, in some strange way, the powerlessness we have against the sickness in our world. The most visible thing we can do, you know, is take to the streets, demand change, all the while exposing ourselves and others to a contagious virus sweeping through our world. A burning question in our minds is, will things change? And is it worth it? Or are we powerless to actually change the things that run deep? What is the point of these protests? What is the point of exposing ourselves to the risk of COVID-19? Is it worth it? I heard a CBC radio uh, interview this week of a black musician whose music has inspired people for over a decade to take up the anti-racist banner. But when the interviewer asked this man point blank, do you have hope things will change? He responded, no. No. I don't have much hope. Call me a pessimist, but things are too broken to change. This is someone inside the movement, somebody who has been a voice for years, someone who is so hopeless. A time like this reveals a conflict that we feel, the conflict between how we respond on the outside and what's going on inside our souls. We can take to the streets. We can join hands with our black brothers and sisters. We can post hashtag Blackout Tuesday pictures on Instagram or Facebook. Things in the name of change. But can we change the problem that runs deep? That tension is real. Deep in our own hearts. So deep that we are often blind to it. Or in the words of the Apostle Paul, powerless. As Pastor Ken mentioned last week, though, if the gospel doesn't have anything to say to us in our world today, we might as well pack it up and head home. So does it? Does the gospel have hope for us? Where does deep change come from, the deep change that we long, long for? See, these readings characterize clearly for us the outside and inside struggle we see exploding in our world today. But they also bring us closer to a God who never gives up on his world and actually gives it all in the name of change. So two points or or two themes that emerge in the, the readings for this morning are the lost sheep 
and the God of promise. So first, the lost sheep. In the gospel text this morning, we see Jesus, the teacher and proclaimer of good news, and he's on his campaign journey. He is making good news teachings in towns and villages and is leaving behind him trails of new creation. He's healing people. He's preaching good news. And then at verse 36, he takes a pause. He stops everything and he looks at the crowds. Yeah, I see this as one of these moments in the movie where the music fades, the background blurs, and all time begins to stand still. The main character and whatever they're doing is front and center in the story. You can't avoid it. I can imagine that the gospel writer Matthew, at this moment when Jesus is looking at the crowds, he is picking up on a specific moment in time. He has a mental image stamped into his mind, the divine pity on Jesus' face, the compassion. What it would have been like to be there and see that. I wonder if Jesus showed emotion visibly as he saw these people surrounding him, searching. They were searching. They were broken. They were longing for more life than what they had, and they'd come to Jesus because they had hope. Jesus was looking at crowds, at people similar to the crowds that we see on our Facebook news feeds, that we see in our newspapers, or we've stood in with our own two feet. People longing for more, looking for change. But who are these crowds that Jesus is looking at? Why does Jesus have compassion on them and at the same time see them as a plentiful harvest? Well, these were the people of Israel. You know, we can think to ourselves, they were the chosen people, the nation of God. Of course they had it right. Of course they knew what they were doing. Of course they were on the right path. You know, look at the psalm for today, where David talks about the same people that are in the crowds in front of Jesus that day. He says, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. On the outside, externally, they were God's chosen people. If you asked any of them, who are you? They would know, I'm a descendant of Jacob. I'm a holy, part of a holy nation. People set apart from the world to be God's special possession. But Jesus sees right through their public profile and into their hearts. And he calls them sheep without a shepherd. You see, sheep are interesting creatures. <laughs> sheep need to follow a shepherd in order to thrive. They're a little bit different than your fairly emotionally stable golden retriever or your self-sufficient tabby. 
If sheep can't take care of themselves, they can't really fend for themselves, they're not really independent animals. And so without the shepherd to guide them, the shepherd to care for them, the shepherd to protect them, the shepherd to lead them, they would die. So what's going on here? How could God's people be sheep gone astray? To us, it may seem as if Jesus was standing in front of the cast of Chicago, who's saying to them, you've all forgotten your lines. At which they respond, no, we haven't. We've been doing this for years. We know the drill. We know it cold. And then Jesus says to them, but you've forgotten what it's all about. See, in reality, their history is one of failure after failure, of never quite getting it right. On the outside, the Israelites acknowledged God, but their hearts, their hearts were not always in the right place. If you do a scan of the Old Testament, we see that actually it isn't surprising that Jesus labels these crowds in front of him as sheep without a shepherd. Reading the Old Testament and seeing the unfaithfulness of Israel, I often think of, to myself, you know, how could you not see where this was going? <laughs> How could you not see that you were disobeying God? Could you not just listen to him? (laughs) Just do the right thing for once? Come on, Israel. I can be hard on the crowds. And then I remember the tape recorder image from uh, Francis Schaeffer. It goes like this. Imagine at the end of your life, that you stood before God and he said, do you think you're a good person, pretty good person? I think most of us would probably say, generally, yes. I know I'm not perfect, but I'm doing good. In fact, that's how we respond to a lot of people. How are you doing? I'm good. And then God would tell you, you know, um, around your neck, From the time that you were born, there was an invisible tape recorder that was recording your words. But not just your words, your thoughts and your actions. It recorded every moment of every day. And God said, okay, then let's play this back. How high would your anxiety level rise to knowing that everything that you ever thought or said or done was recorded and being Put out in the open. How high would your anxiety level rise to? See, often without thinking about it, we can find ourselves dismissing certain issues or problems in our world because we don't think that they apply to us, that we aren't that bad, that we're doing okay the way that life is, but our tape recorder would show it to be different. Can you see your sheepness too? See, I've realized in the past few weeks of reflection and thinking about things that in certain ways I have actually contributed. I have been a contributor to racism in this world. Oftentimes even without knowing it. I've been blind to my sin, to my brokenness. And been powerless to change it. And even the the more we change, the more we try, the more we know, the more we understand, we become made aware. 
the more aware we are, the more we realize the depth of our brokenness. Maybe we too can see that, that Jesus is talking to us. We too are sheep without a shepherd. We can't do it on our own. And to make matters worse, our shepherdlessness doesn't just affect us, right? It affects everyone around us because when we get it wrong, other people suffer. There's a broken feedback loop that's, that's, that's in our world as a result of the fall. And we see this come to the surface in a fascinating story in the Old Testament about a man named Achan. Achan was a part of the army of Israel, and he was part of God's promised people, but he broke a promise to God. During one of the battles, when, when Israel defeated a Canaanite city, they were to take and loot the city, take all the gold, and consecrate it to God. And Achan decided he would do that, but take a little bit for himself. And he hid it in his tent, and he didn't tell anyone. Just a little personal sin, something that was just between him and God, right? Wrong. God knew. God knows. And he punished not just Achan. God punished all Israel. Everyone in the community was affected by this man's actions. Does that sound fair? But it's true of us, too. When a person does injustice, there is a chain reaction, and it always impacts other people. The actions of a spouse affect the other spouse. And even the whole family, the actions of a leader of, a, of an organization affects the entire organization. I remember a story I heard one time of a, a, uh, the CEO of a startup in California who, uh, when he, even when his company was going through the ups and downs that, a, that startups normally do, he had to keep, keep maintaining a certain level of... Um, visible okayness with how things were going. Because if he let on that things were rough or rocky, that would impact his employees whose mortgages they needed to pay with the money they earned. And if their jobs were at risk because the company was failing, well, then that affected their lives at home and their spouses. And that affected their kids and the way that their kids related to and their school. And, and the chain reaction goes on. See, our, our world is so deeply connected and our brokenness isn't just personal. Our shepherdlessness affects everything. With every internal struggle, the external effects come out. And we can find ourselves asking, you know, what do we do about this? What can we do? Do we say, like that interviewer, interviewee on CBC Radio, that black musician, that there is no hope, that, he, that we've lost hope? Or we can keep reading and see how Jesus responds to the crowds because he gives us a glimpse of how Jesus responds to us too. So what does Jesus do? What does he say to the lost sheep? Good luck. Adios, amigos, right? Just see you on the other side. No. No, in fact, he stays the course. He actually focuses even more closely on his mission. 
You see, God is a God of promise. He's a promise-making, promise-keeping God. And this is the second theme that emerges from these texts, is the promises of God. There's a verse in the gospel reading, if you keep reading down the line, after Jesus has, has sent his disciples out to, to be on mission, to go ahead of him, he's given them authority and he says to them something so striking that it sticks out like a sore thumb. He says, Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any towns of the Samaritans. Rather, go to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, proclaim the message, the kingdom of God has come near. Think about that. Don't go among the Gentiles or the Samaritans. Only go to Israel. And at first reading, I thought to myself, you know, Jesus sounds like a racist. Jesus sounds like the gospel is only for certain people, for an elitist, one ethnicity. Is this true? And what I learned is that what Jesus is doing is not being elitist or exclusive or racist but faithful. Yes, faithful. Remember the crowds. Jesus is responding to the crowds, the crowds who were God's set-apart people. Remember the Exodus reading. God makes promises there to Moses on Mount Sinai that Israel would be his set-apart people. They would be his special possession, his representatives in a broken world. He says that he brought them out of Egypt for that purpose. See, the language that God uses is that Israel would be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. They would be the prototypes of new creation. But this isn't God's first promise to human beings. Israel was set apart as new humanity because Adam and Eve, the first humans, had broken their partnership with him. And God promised back in the beginning that he would set all things right, that he wouldn't let his world be dominated by sin and broken relationships. And so Israel was the beginning of this new creation. But they couldn't do it. They couldn't be the people, the new creation. And God knew it. The sheep of Israel needed a shepherd to show them the way. And Jesus was God's answer to the promise he made to Israel. See, the Gospel of Matthew highlights this for us. In the, in the Bible, there's, there's four uh, stories of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each of them tells the story from a different angle, focusing in on something unique. And for Matthew, he focused in on the fact that Jesus was the true representative of Israel. In his life, he held up the covenant, the law of God. He followed it perfectly. He was the only true and moral person to ever walk this earth. See, the tape recorder of Jesus' life plays back perfectly. Jesus was what Israel should have been but couldn't. And what does he do? Is he takes that perfect record off. 
that tape recorder that plays back perfectly in the presence of God. And he puts on Israel's. He wears their sin. He wears their brokenness, their unfaithfulness to the covenant promise. He took off his perfect record, gives it to them, and puts on theirs. This is the depth of the faithfulness of God. You and I can count on him to be true to his word, to be faithful to his promise, because we can look at Jesus Christ hanging on the cross as the faithfulness of God. God is so faithful to what he says, he's willing to go the whole way, even if it means giving up his son, his beloved son. Jesus Christ bore, settled once and for all the consequences for Israel failing God, for being poor representatives to others, for being sheep without a shepherd. See, see the, the God writes himself into the story as one of the sheep to lead all people. See, the blessing of Jesus wasn't just for Israel, but for all people. Through Jesus, it says in Gen- Genesis that all nations will be blessed. This is what Paul writes in the Romans passage. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, who is the we? He explicitly says it earlier on in the, in the He wants to put his spirit in you and me and lead us. What if the cross is not just to show us that we're set free from our sin and brokenness, but the depth of God's faithfulness and commitment to our change, to making us new. His commitment to do that deep work in each of us of change. So the question is, will you let him in? Will you submit everything in your life to following him? This is the only way that deep change can happen. I was reading this week um, an author who put it like this. He said, the Western church has lost sight of the fact that Jesus, the way of Jesus, is just that. It's a way of life. It's not just a set of ideas or a list of do's and don'ts. It's a way of life 
based on that of Jesus himself? Do we reorder our lives in the way of Jesus? What if this is how deep change happens? Who do we look to and follow? And where do we go to find a place to begin if we feel lost on this journey? For followers of Jesus, the Lord's table is ground zero. It is apprenticeship training. It's a place where Jesus invites us into his presence and shows us the way to love. Things, sin, brokenness is exposed when we come to the table. When we think about the table. See, it's a place where we come empty and are filled a place where there's no hierarchy based on race or class or gender or power. All people come to the Lord's table equal. All are invited by Jesus to receive. This table also focuses, focuses us on our mission, right? To love and serve others the way Jesus shows us. We are powerless to change. So draw near to Christ at his table. Maybe it's generosity. Maybe it's hope. Maybe it's peace. Maybe it's grace that you need. Come to the table. It's ground zero for Jesus' followers. Learn from him. Thanks be to Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your faithfulness to us. Your commitment to us and our world. God, we know that we are broken. We know that we are like sheep without a shepherd. That we need you. And so, Father, as we draw near to this table that you have set for us, in front of us. We ask that it would reshape us. Lord, may coming to this table, may we receive grace. May our guilt and shame at what we've done be erased. Father, may we learn how to love. Learn how to listen. Father, may we learn the future that you have for us and the feast that's to come. God, we need you to come and be with us in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.